What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Through the Veil. I'm your host, Alex Nelson, and in today's episode, I am interviewing my good friend, Brandon Duncan. He's the owner of Life is Rare, which is a sports nutrition company, as well as a badass father and really, really an all-around very conscious, thoughtful dude. I hope you enjoy this episode. We really go deep into some of his struggles with addiction to pain pills when he was younger, as well as how he has now crafted a very conscious and loving co-parenting relationship, um, parenting his young daughter. So I think you'll enjoy this one. I really, really liked having this conversation. If you do enjoy it, please consider dropping a five-star rating on iTunes, leaving a comment. It's the best way for me to grow the podcast. And if you're watching on YouTube, then drop a comment about what you thought about the episode or just hit that subscribe button and you'll be updated anytime that a new podcast drops um without any further me talking let's go ahead and get into the episode thanks for being here with me welcome to the podcast uh, i'd like to kick things off with just kind of going through a little bit of an introduction for you so if you can introduce yourself and then just kind of within a couple paragraphs, summarize what you've got going on right now, what you're super excited about. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, first off, thank you for the opportunity to sit and talk and dive in with you. Um, and really excited for everything that you're doing and creating with this podcast. Thank you. Um, so my name's Brandon Duncan. Uh, I live in Portland, Oregon. I'm a father to an amazing eight and a half year old little girl. I've been a single father. Uh, since she was born. I'm an entrepreneur. I have a company called Life is Rare. Um, we formulate nutraceutical and functional health products. Um, I'm an endurance athlete. I do Ironman triathlons and ultra endurance races and skydiving and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, originally from Alabama and made my way out to Portland uh, originally to go back to restaurant management school. Mm-hmm. 2008 and then moved back to Alabama to open up a restaurant with my daughter's mom and my father. Um, at the time she was just my girlfriend yeah. we were back there and I had um, several things that, that had, had happened during the course of about six months that led me through a bunch of injuries and ended up getting addicted to prescription pain pills mm-hmm. um, at the same time that my daughter's mom was pregnant yeah. and went through like a seven month heavy heavy addiction yeah. um, that you know came to like a legit rock bottom, about yeah. as deep as you can possibly get right when my daughter was born. And so that became, as, as challenging as it was, it also became this beautiful like birthplace of the next phase of my life. Uh, when she was born, we ended up moving back to Portland um, and started this new journey as a single father and getting on the path that I'm on now. Right, it's awesome. And uh, so I think your story has so much condensed into a fairly short time frame. <laughs> and trying to think of what to uh, dig into first. So I think the addiction is an interesting thing. So let's talk a little bit about where that rock bottom went and how did you find your way back out of that? Kind of what were the catalysts for you? Yeah, so to to really explain that requires I go back even further um, because there's a lot of pain and, and trauma and like inner suffering that was really driving the addictive behaviors. Yes. And it wasn't just, I was addicted to prescription pain pills. It wasn't just the addiction to that. I was addicted to 
um, attention. I was addicted to food. I was addicted to women. Numbing. Numbing, exactly, and sedation in a lot of different forms. It just happened to be that prescription pain pills became the one that, like, broke the house down, right? right? Like, just kind of destroyed the foundation of everything else and also woke me the fuck up. Yes. Um, and the trauma and the pain and everything really started um, when I was 23 years old. My little brother died on my birthday. Yeah. And, you know, not, not understanding how to navigate something at that age, right. still being fairly young. I mean, old enough to know enough, but still too young to really know how to navigate it. And then also looking at the expectations society places on young men to be strong and stoic right. and not show emotions. And so I I'd created this idea that it was my responsibility to protect everybody else. Yes. You know, he was a senior in high school and so I was protecting all his friends. Yeah. I was protecting my parents. And in doing so, I wasn't doing anything to not just protect me, but actually go through a healthy grieving process. Right. So several years passed in my mid-20s where my way of, of numbing that, mm-hmm. or even when it would come up, like feeling it at times, was to go out and sedate. Yeah. And drugs, alcohol, women, um, just about anything. And so that that was like a, an ocean that at times was really rough and intense, and other times it was kind of calm, it wasn't really present in my life. Right. Um, but the underlying like trauma, sadness, grief, and pain was always there. And so when I became addicted to prescription pain pills, um, there was a lot going on at that time. We just opened up a restaurant and the relationship I was in, we were having challenges yeah. and being um, you know, active, both playing an active role in this new business and the stress that that brought, then finding out that she was pregnant, yeah. already having some relationship challenges that yes. we were trying to navigate through and even knowing if we were gonna be together or not. Um, that all came to this like, place that when I started using prescription pain pills for injuries, I was just taking them like candy and ended up going through the actual prescription, started buying them on the street. Mm -hmm. Um, And that lasted for about seven months. And, you know, the wake up at the rock bottom for me, I was very fortunate because I was becoming a dad. So like I had a a very short timeline to get my shit together before knowing that there was going to be a lot of responsibility and life wasn't just about me anymore. So I think I was really fortunate in that way because that was a really strong driver and motivator. Um, with that though, I still did a terrible job of like seeking help right. and ask, you know, letting anyone know that I was hurting, that this was going on. So um, it still took a while. I went to rehab and actually the first rehab was seven days. Mm-hmm. Um, I relapsed like two weeks after, yeah. um, right before my daughter was born. Um, and then went about two weeks after she was born, a couple weeks after she was born, went back to a second rehab. Yeah. And this one was less about detoxing from drugs and more about doing the inner work to like get to the root of what was going on. Yeah. And it was an AA-based program, which for me, it, it was a great place to start. It wasn't ultimately yeah. what really, like, I, I look at now, I've cured yeah. my addictions in, in the way that they showed up then. And that's more of a manage. There's other potential addictions we could explore that aren't necessarily damaging in the way drugs are. Right. Uh, and that came after the, the second rehab and the AA-based uh, modalities that I was going through. Yeah. But the, the big driving force for me was my daughter, man. You know, like becoming a dad and knowing that there's someone else depending on me um, and knowing that I hurt people too. Yeah. You know, hurt her mom, hurt my family, right. lost trust, hurt people I loved and cared about. And that, that 
I was working on that for six, seven, eight months, and then my dad died. Yeah. Um, you know, and so fortunately having the tools or enough of them to know that I didn't want to repeat the same thing I did mm -hmm. previously again, um, that's when I really started the personal development journey. Yeah. Not just like watching Tony Robbins videos and reading the books that we all know about, but like really digging into the daily practice of certain work. Yes. And that was May of 2011, and that took like two years. So really there was about two and a half, three years since the time my daughter was born that it took me to like get my shit together and clean up this stuff I'd created um, and get to a place where I could really start to move forward as a truly healthy, empowered version of me, um, leaving all of that behind. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a super powerful story. I mean, what jumps to mind for me, I think, addiction is such a tricky thing, I think. So, a while ago, I, when I was 21, 22, I sort of cured my addiction to alcohol. Mm -hmm. Cured, it's still there. I have an addictive personality, so I would be aware for myself that if I go out drinking, I'm probably gonna go drinking. And what I do now is I just put it back to a couple times a year rather yeah. than what it used to be, which is like four nights a week. Yeah. And it just makes you, it's very avoidant. It makes you very, like I remember at one point I had like stolen some money from my dad to pay for like me going out and So <laughs> common experience I think amongst addicts is like stealing stuff around them that love you. And I just remember this experience of like, and now that I have the framework to understand, I know what it was, but I had this experience where like, he had found out that I'd taken money from him, and he was like talking to me about it, and it was almost like the screen went static, and it was just like, <laughs> and what that was was just me disintegrating from the real experience. So I was disassociating right. from reality. I was going, "That's too painful. We can't look at it." And what's beautiful about your journey is, with the birth of your daughter, that was the catalyst for you to look at this stuff. And it takes courage to look at because it's hard. Yeah, it's, hard. it's a lot easier to just numb that shit and keep it down. But when you actually take the courage to look at it, you kind of prove you're a shining example of that. Yeah. Thanks, man. I mean, I, I would also add to that that I, I actually think it's harder to stay in the addiction. Um, it's a misconception because yeah. we often think addicts and the ones that that love addicts often think the addiction's the easy place. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there may be some truth to that in like early stage addiction, sure. where you can catch it early enough and it doesn't get to like a dark, dark place. Yeah. But in like full-blown addiction, yeah. that's the hardest fucking place you'll ever be. Yeah. And, and it may be really hard when you start getting healthy again and you start making those changes, like that transition point. Yes is really nasty and really ugly, especially if you're addicted to things like opiates or stuff that has really intense, or alcohol that's yeah. really intense withdrawals. And as you get through that initial like transition phase, life gets good fast. Right. And, and, and so, and then so long as you're continuing to work toward that yes. and you have the right people around you and support and positivity, it gets really good, yeah. <laughs> like really fast. really fast. And you realize how ugly and messy it was. And so I think that's really important for people to kind of understand because a lot of people go through addiction, a lot of people. And if you're not personally going through it, it's very likely that you have someone you care about that is. Right. So just understanding that part that, you know, like it can get good quickly so long as you're 
willing to like do what it takes to, to get through that. And put in the work to put in the work. Identify the trauma. Because I think a lot totally. of times when people fail to solve an addiction, it's because they haven't really gotten to the root cause of what was causing it. I, yeah. I like uh, I can't remember who said it, it was on Aubrey's podcast, but mm-hmm. they said that every addiction is a coping strategy. And the coping strategy was a good idea at the time that you created it because it worked. And that the first time you took opiates to numb mm-hmm. the feelings you're feeling, it worked. Mm-hmm. So it worked then, but the problem is you kept doing it. Yeah. So it's to honor that that was a coping mechanism for some pain. Mm-hmm. And at the time it may have made sense, but now that's no longer serving you. I just think that Definitely. paradigm is like... It's an interesting way to look at it. The other part is that sometimes in a place that emits pain like that, sometimes, and this was my experience, the pain can get so overwhelming that to shut that out without a substance requires that you turn off all your emotional, sure. like like your connection to any kind of emotions. Right. So for me, oftentimes, the high or the feeling I was getting from drugs mm-hmm. was actually just to feel something. Right. It was less about the high, sure. and sometimes it was more about just being able to feel again, because yeah. I'd shut off all of my emotions, because I was so terrified of feeling the ones that I was feeling, that the only way I knew to like process that was just turn them all off. Yeah. And so I was kind of like a robot at times. And so taking taking drugs or having any kind of stimulation yes. actually gave me something to feel. Right. And that was a addiction in and of itself, just outside of the drugs, whole completely. Which makes total sense. Like you're repressing so much that you just keep it down. Nothing. Yeah. I can feel anything because if I feel anything. Yeah, yeah, it's happening. I'll lose my, like, I'll lose everything. Exactly. Um, so let's talk next about just the journey you've gone on, because I think this is all super interesting. The journey you've gone on with sort of co-parenting mm-hmm. as two separate individuals, and just the beauty of that journey, just yeah, run, run wild with that one. Cause I think Definitely. Like, um, the first, the, I'll start it here, because a lot of times when I talk about this, I'm always starting it with the positives. Sure. And it's not always like rainbows and sunshine. Mm-hmm. And right now we're going through a, a period of that relationship where there's a lot of obstacles, there's a lot of challenges. Communication's a big one right now because yeah. our daughter's changing, her age is, the age that she's at is requiring different parenting, different education at school, there's a lot of changes. All very beautiful things, and there's changes between both homes at a personal level as well. And, and so that's creating different um, different issues and different challenges that we're navigating through. And so first and foremost, it's not always like this picture perfect thing. Yeah. And we're human and we have things that we have to work through. And we're doing that right now. And I'm very grateful for that because it's always on the other side of that when things get even better than they were before that new phase started. With that, uh, for the last eight and a half years, we've been completely dedicated, dedicated and committed to showing up as the best versions of ourselves, uh, mutually, mm-hmm. both of us, um, determined to approach our parenting with love, with uh, patience, with support and appreciation. And it's been a, a hard at times and very challenging journey and one of the most rewarding experiences outside of actually being a father. Yeah. Um, the love that I have for my daughter's mom um, continues to grow stronger and stronger every day. 
Um, she's one of the greatest women that I know, um, an incredible mother, and it's a complete honor to, like, to have this partner right, to be able to go through this journey with. And she recently had a new baby, and um, her new partner is an incredible man, someone I actually had a, a friendship with before they ever met. Yeah. And we all do things and have done things as family, you right. know, and do dinners together. And she just, her new baby, I was at the hospital the night the baby was born. Yeah. You know, and it was one of like the third or fourth people to be in the room holding the baby. Yeah. And just things that, you know, when you, when you take a step back and you look at it all, it makes the hard times, it makes the challenging times where you're really fucking frustrated. Yeah. And like sometimes you just want to say, fuck it, right. I'm throwing the towel yeah, in, we're going to be like everyone else uh -huh. and, you know, We'll say hi at drop-offs and like, that. yeah, and, and but we're never going to be that. Right. Um, and you know, when we when we see these beautiful moments, it reminds us of what we're really working toward and why. Um, and I hope to be a, a beacon for other single parents that because it's challenging and it's not the normal experience to have the type of relationship that we have. There's a lot of it being created in the world, and there are other people that are definitely practicing it. Yeah, and, and it's hard. You know, and I hope that our journey and our path can inspire other people to start working toward that. And that's one of my big missions in life with a lot of the work that I do outside yeah. of my main company with coaching and some other things is sharing these practices and sharing these concepts with people so that they can get some of that juice to apply in their own life. Yeah, absolutely. In that same way. That's awesome. And so let's go nuts and bolts, tactics for mm -hmm. a second. So yeah. what do you think? You know, I'm not going to put that arbitrary number two. What are the top couple things you would say that make that relationship so effective that just make it work? There's likely the top, and this may change. Mm -hmm. At times, I don't know if this is always the top. I would say the first thing is patience mm -hmm. um, above anything else. Second, compassion. And the compassion is kind of multifaceted. It's compassion for putting yourself in other parents' position and, and understanding that their views and their needs are gonna be very different at times right. from mine. And so having compassion of that. Also having compassion of the situation that we're like co-creating this life. Mm -hmm. And so compassion around that, compassion for her new partner. Right. That, that the growth that they're having as a couple impacts the way that they're choosing to parent. Yes. That is impacting the way my daughter and I are experiencing our relationship at times because she carries that energy with her. And so just having like deep compassion. Yeah. <coughs> um, very open, very honest communication. Very clear and very direct is key. A lot of parents, they get too wound up and tied up in the personal shit. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. Right. And that's one of the challenges that we actually experienced because we became so close as friends mm -hmm. And, and so connected, spending holidays as big families together with our yeah. extended family and stuff that's beautiful. Right. And we talked about personal stuff together when, you know, over the last few years, like when one, one of us was dating someone new and what that experience was like, we were sharing things that friends yeah. talk about that were at times a little too far outside of the parenting dynamic itself. And that can become a, a challenging place to be because then you get too connected. Yeah. And there, there's too much emotional connection in it. Yeah. So um, I'm not saying for people to not be friends in that way, but just be very careful there because ultimately the key is clear and concise communication about parenting right. and about what your needs are around that and the child's needs. Yeah. And especially for people that are going or coming from like a really toxic, unhealthy place, which is a lot of recently divorced or separated parents. Yeah. 
those early stages, just focus on clear communication about the, about the child. Yeah, and ultimately remembering this concept that I don't remember who originally said it, um, but it's never love your child or, or never hate your ex more than you love your child. Mm -hmm. And two parts of that really stand out to me. Okay. One is just the concept of that is a lot of people create this story of like, I'm gonna hate this person because the relationship didn't work out and I'm gonna put that hate projected on you right. around the parenting dynamic of our kid. Doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense at all. And all someone is really doing when they're projecting that is digging a deeper hole of like negativity, hate, negative energy. Yeah, good luck not taking that out on the kid Yeah, that's fostering more of that between that relationship right. and hurting the child because yes. the child's experiencing that. Yeah. The second part of that is the word ex, which I've talked a lot about. Mm. I don't view my daughter's mom as my ex. Mm. She, if we were gonna be like technical about it, I would say a former partner, sure, you know, or a former lover, but I view her as my co-parenting partner, right? Presently, yes. now. Yeah, yeah. And language is powerful, yeah. like as we know, you know, and the language and labels that we apply to things create meaning, right? Or meaning-making machines, as we've talked a lot about here mm -hmm. during this time, is we apply meaning to things. And so even something as simple as changing the language that we use to describe right. the person or the experience can have a massive positive reach and, and impact moving forward. Um, perhaps the final thing, I mean, we could get so much other stuff, but maybe yeah. the final thing for this would be um, remember to focus on the things that allow you to be the happiest in your life mm -hmm. instead of worrying about the things you want the other person to be doing in theirs or yes. that you wish that they were doing. When you find yourself judging or viewing them and trying to change them, just look in that mirror. Turn it back around and ask yourself, what can I do in this moment to show up as my highest self? Right. And like tune into that. And once you tune into that, what you thought you wanted to do will yeah. dissolve really quickly and you'll remember to operate from the heart, from a place of love and compassion and kindness and respect. When you're, when you're operating at your best self, it's funny how little, you know, I'd like everyone who's listening right now to kind of imagine the best day they ever had and think of that best day. How did you treat people on that best day when you were your best self and you were the most excited? Maybe it was your birthday, maybe it was just some celebration that you were really excited to go to. Were you gonna treat anyone with unkindness on that right. best day of your life? No, you're coming forward, you had extra love to give to yeah. everyone around. If someone came at you with negativity, it's, you just showed that love too. So it's a beautiful paradigm because it's, the more full your cup is through the personal work that totally. you've done, the more you have to share out. Yeah. So, I think that's beautiful. Yeah, a simple like way to look at it is if I wanted to give you money, I first have to have money in my pocket to yeah. give you. Yeah. Right. So like if I want to give love, kindness, respect, anything of out of true value right. to others or to the world or to my children, I first have to cultivate that in my own life. Yes. And so through these daily practices that we all do and ways of just being the best versions of ourselves, we can then give that part of us and express that to others. So let's dig into those daily practices <laughs> a little bit. What what do you find to be the most effective things that you do daily, weekly, whatever the frequency can be, that really, that really are the lever that you pull to gain that self-awareness, to gain that internal full cup? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, journaling is becoming more and more powerful and likely now it may be the most powerful. Yeah. And I, it's also the one I resist the most and have over the years. Yes. You know, so again, in full transparency, 
it's something I've been doing for seven or eight years fairly consistently. Uh, and just recently, in like the last six months, something that I've made a commitment to do every single day. Right. And as I've made that commitment, the time, I mean, at first it's hard, I'm sitting down, I'm like, oh, what am I gonna write about? What's going on? Let me do some attitude or some things that I know I can start with. And as I consistently practice that, it's like that stream of consciousness starts just yeah. flowing. Exactly. And things are coming out, and I'm like, oh my God, yes, this, that. I'm getting clarity, I'm getting connection. I'm able to step out of reactivity yeah. through journaling because I'm able to process right. my thoughts and my emotions. And we know that emotions are just energy emotion. And if you and I are in an argument or debating about something and, and, and we're carrying all that emotion and stuff and I'm in reactivity and I'm like, well, no, Alex, you're wrong because it's this way and I think this and it's like that. And I'm reacting while I'm not having compassion, I'm not having kindness, I'm not having respect, I'm just reacting yeah. and ultimately probably trying to be right yes. in, that, in that exchange. Trying to come to truth, just trying right. to be. Right. And as Einstein said, we can't solve a problem from the same level of consciousness in which the problem was created. And I interpret that as well as like the same space, yeah. the same environment. So if we got in that argument here, we're not going to solve it being here. Right. But if I walk down to my room and I grab my journal, I take a deep breath and change that environment, I sit down right. and I start writing, and I ask myself, how do I really feel? Yes. What is it that I would really like to convey or for you to experience from what I'm trying to say? Right. I can start to get clear. And then when I come back, whenever that may be, if that's later, if it's the next day, when we connect again, I'm able to not be in reactivity. Right. I'm able to move that energy and emotion through pen and paper, yes. which is a weapon of mass creation, yeah. right? Not, not mass destruction. Right. And, and, and I'm able to then come back and be operating from my center, from my heart. And this is just an example in like relationship. Right. In just an individual experience, I'm able to connect to my soul, I'm able to be clear about my thoughts, yeah. the things each day that I actually intend to do that are gonna take me the direction I wanna go. Yes. It's a powerful practice. Um, so just to touch on that real quick, I think the beautiful thing about journaling, so I think there's, my theory, I think there's some science to back this up, there's two ways that people actually come to solid bedrock conclusions. One of those is through conversation. So you and me can talk, I and mean, you actually have to process your thoughts out loud. Mm -hmm. You start to realize, like, fucking stupid, I don't actually believe that, but when it's just bouncing around in your head, it seems right, because mm -hmm. it's just going around a million miles an hour. Journaling is the other piece of that, so yeah. you have to slow down and write it out. It's not just bouncing around in your head as a sort of weird combination of emotion plus talk, inner talk, it becomes real on paper, and you can look at it and go, that statement's fucking stupid, yeah. that doesn't make sense, I don't actually believe that that person was wrong, I just really wanted to be right, Yeah. so that journaling is... It's, it's, it's powerful, and we know science has proven this. I mean, a lot of things, and then you know, people that are way smarter than us mm -hmm. talk about this in a lot of books that are just brilliant on this subject. That everything in creation it follows a certain pattern. This is a universal law. We understand this: thoughts into words into deeds. And there's more to it than that. But that's kind of like if we were to break it down in the most short, simple packaging of like, oh, this is the tactical way to create something in my life. First, it's a thought that comes from different things, and then I'm gonna speak it, right. and then I'm gonna do it, right? And so the speaking portion can be writing, yes. it can be getting clear in that journal, and then the second, the final part of that is taking the action, doing right. the deed. And so journaling is a absolute must practice for sure. Uh, meditation, um, it's in the big thing for a bit now, like it's becoming more mainstream, less woo-woo-y, less like some Eastern philosophical practice that, right monks do on the side of a mountain and it's 
powerful and it works. Um, I try to do 15 to 20 minutes a day at one sitting. I don't every day. Sometimes, at, at a minimum, I'm sitting for three to five minutes right. and just yeah. and just cutting everything out for a moment. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I try to do 15 to 20 minutes a day. Yeah. Very powerful practice. Um, little things for me that have been huge drivers is every morning when I wake up, I smile. Mm -hmm. And when I get out of bed, I actually don't get up like hunched over. I get up and I open sure. my body because I want to open and Good receive <laughs> the yeah. light yeah. and the energy and also open my body and my muscles to sure. give power for the day. And I feel like that really activates my central nervous system. Yeah. I hydrate with really clean water yeah. um, before I put anything in my body. Yeah. I move uh, for about five to 10 minutes. This could be stretching. This could be going on a walk with my dog. Um, you know, light's a great thing. Aubrey talks about it in his book, yeah. uh, Hydrate, Move, and Light, because yeah. it's gonna turn on the circadian rhythm and get us going for the day. Um, exercise, you know, breaking a sweat, so much more than just like the physical health component right. of keeping us in shape and keeping us looking great and feeling great, um, but being able to again, move stress, move negative emotions, and again, keep us like connected to our body, right. you know, keep us really dialed in. Um, I actually send out a couple messages every day of appreciation to people mm -hmm. that I care about um, and express my love, my honor, my appreciation to these people yeah. in some form or capacity. And that's been a beautiful practice for me. Uh, and then just asking myself daily, like, who would I be if I was operating as my best self right now? Yeah. You know, what would I be doing? And then pause to think about those things. Right. Such a beautiful concept. I think one of the favorite reference points I keep in my own head is the idea that you do have a higher self and whether that's true or whether it's just a construct in your head doesn't really matter. It could be either, but the idea that you have a higher self and that's the perfect version of you and that that version of you is constantly guiding you to try and be that version and whether that's accurate in a metaphysical sense or whether that's just a part of your subconscious that knows what the best of you is, just having that in the back of my mind there's a standard and what what would I do to be like that? It's just I, I would say it's absolutely legit right. and we can prove it. And here's a great example is because I was not operating, you know, eight and a half years ago as my highest self, mm -hmm. nine years ago when I was in the deepest pit of addiction right. and darkness and creating victim mentality. Mm -hmm. And it took me operating as a version of my highest self at that point of right. the timeline. That to get out of that. Yeah. Now, as we know, we're constantly expanding and growing everything in the world is. Um, so our highest self is not some like fixed version of us right. in my belief system that you know we attain mm -hmm. potentially at some point right. along the path. It's constantly expanding yeah. and growing too as we expand and grow. And so at any point in our experience that we've been, we've called ourselves to, to, to raise higher than we were mm -hmm the day before, the week before, whatever it was, that's us stepping into a version of our highest self. Right. That's the only way we can get from that place into this place. Yes. And then this place becomes the new norm, and then there's another version of the highest mm -hmm. self, and it's just a continual process throughout life. It's like a video game, you unlock each level. <laughs> be totally. the first level, and oh fuck, the monsters got bigger, son of a bitch. <laughs> totally, yeah. Yeah, because it's not gonna get, you don't, you don't, in that journey, you don't get to this version of your highest self and all the problems. Yeah, everything's here, perfect. And, and everything's it. perfect. Actually, the problems tend to get harder right. and bigger because you're bigger. Yeah. And you can actually accomplish more. Yeah. So, exactly. you know, life in the universe is going to give you those tools that you need to continue growing. Yeah. That's a concept in 
occultism that's the trial of the abyss and that's mm -hmm. when you hit a certain point in your journey you become ready for this trial which basically takes everything from you <laughs> and it's like only, only the person who gets far enough actually gets to that trial yeah. at all and I just like that as a concept that like hey just because you're moving forward doesn't mean things are necessarily going to get easier yeah it may actually get more difficult in a multitude yeah. of ways but you also have more reference points of your own success to rely on. Yeah, the toolbox, that like invisible toolbox mm -hmm. that we all have, exactly. you know, that we're like filling with the tools of life yes. that we've learned over the years, that toolbox gets bigger, right? And so as the problems get bigger, you have more tools, more equipment, more knowledge, more resources to face these obstacles right. in the way. You know you've done it before. That's the Definitely. Thing. When you have, I remember when I was young, zero reference points. Not zero, but it seemed like zero at yeah. the time of overcoming stuff. It's it's a little more difficult because you're going, I'm not really sure if I can do this. Now if I run up against a problem, I have endless reference points. Yeah. I overcame that, I overcame that, I overcame that. So it's a little easier for me to get myself in the mindset of even this if this seems like a real motherfucker of a problem, I know I'm capable of overcoming whatever it is. Yeah, that's right. That's amazing. So, moving on. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the last topic to touch on here because we're getting... We can talk about anything. Let us see. I know, right? So I think, what is the thing that you are most excited about right now moving forward? What is the thing that just like is getting you out of bed at this moment? Project? That's kid. a big question. Yeah. Uh, well, well, there's a few answers inside of that and I think I'll try to to keep it focused on what kind of encapsulates all of it. Mm -hmm. And that's practicing, only practicing and doing and thinking and being experiences each day that nourish and energize me. Mm -hmm. And what this looks like is some of the stuff we just talked about. And right now journaling every day is nourishing and energizing for me. And this is like versus draining and depleting. Right, right. Um, spending time with my daughter, um, a really present, connected time, putting the phone up, you know, being with her at her level, letting her choose what we're doing. So she's getting that creativity. She's getting to take leadership yeah. and like express herself. Um, incredibly nourishing, yeah. incredibly energizing, yeah. incredibly heart opening. Being around great people like you and the people in this community that we've been with here in Tulum, yeah. um, nourishing energizing so it comes to me right now where with work with business I'm growing my company we're investing money and in, in marketing and tons of fun cool shit yeah. what's exciting and inspiring is the stuff that's nourishing and energizing right and for me I'm being able to be creative again in my company yeah. that's nourishing that's energizing that's inspiring yeah um, so I would just say really anything in my life right now that I'm that I'm doing I'm doing because it's nourishing and energizing right. with parenting, with business, with social relationships in my tribe, with my physical body and the challenges I'm committed to doing with fitness and different big events and stuff. It's yeah. all stuff that really nourishes me, really energizes me and inspires me to be a better version of myself because right. I'm seeing not just those versions of my higher self within me when I'm connecting to source and when I'm connecting to my inner soul and, and, and who I really am, yeah. I'm also seeing it in the reflection of the people that I've called into my life. Right. Uh, people like you, people like 
Aubrey and Kyle and the coaches and this fellowship and other people that I really value their presence because yeah. I'm seeing them do the work as well. Right. And so it's giving me the example through leadership of what's possible. Yeah. And that's really fucking inspiring. Oh, yeah. And also nourishing and energizing. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's such a beautiful, a beautiful concept because the idea that when you pursue the things that are nourishing for you, you're gonna have more left over for maybe the daily tasks that are more routine. But if you're focusing on what's nourishing, it's just it's a it's a positive feedback loop. Totally. Going into it, you get more out of it, so then you have more to give, so then you go into the next thing with more to give, and then you get more Hell out yeah. of it, and then you have more to give. And it takes you further because you're looking at the things that are actually lighting you up. And it takes a certain amount of self awareness for you to actually look and go, Definitely. How did I feel after that? Yeah. I felt amazing, I had all this energy. But why did I have that energy? What part of it was it? It was the part where I talked to the person and we were both very open and honest. And yeah. Oh, okay, well that's what was really good me from that interaction. It wasn't just that I was talking to someone, it's that I was talking to someone who I could be truly myself. Definitely. Yeah. So. Yeah, and you can ask yourself too, like like for the people listening wondering like, well, how do I do that? Mm -hmm. How do I find what those things are in my life? Yeah. Ask yourself. And as you start practicing, practicing this, practicing this, you get proactive with it. And you actually ask before choosing to do something, mm -hmm. and that can look like you know friends invite you out on a Friday night right. to go have dinner and have some drinks yeah. and whatever, just a great time. Yeah. And you may pause before saying yes and think, okay, that sounds like fun. Mm -hmm. Probably have some a good time, yeah. you know. And I enjoy that that stuff. And is this going to nourish me and energize me, or am I going to feel drained and depleted afterwards in the next day? You know, so you can you can get ahead of the actual thing happening by asking this proactively. Yeah. Once you start like programming the mind, you know, to be aware and in tune right. to this sort of thing, um, and that comes from like what you just described after making choices and decisions. You know, reflecting back through journaling and some of these exercises at the end of every day. Yeah. You can do that and you can ask yourself, okay, like out of the, today's day and the things right. that I chose and the things that I made decisions on, was there anything that was really nourishing and really energizing, really stood out? Okay, cool, let me let me learn from that. What did I do? How did I, you know, what was that experience? What was draining and depleting? Right. Oh, cool, let me make that list. Yeah. Don't judge it, don't Things beat it up. Avoid. Yeah, don't shame it. Don't like make yourself wrong or bad for it. Just acknowledge it. And then ask yourself, okay, like, do I want to do these things moving forward? You know, you don't have to make like a complete cold turkey kind of like, oh, I'm never going to do these things right. again and only do these things. But you may remove one or two things that you may repeat consistently in your life. Yeah. And then you start creating more nourishment, more energy, more inspiration. And then eventually you've got the tools. You can bring it all together. Awesome. Cool. Well, wrapping up here, uh, last two things. So number one, where can people find you? What's the best place to see what you're putting out, get your content, get in contact with you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Facebook and Instagram are always great. Um, I'm, I'm fairly active on both. Uh, so Facebook is Brandon James Duncan. Instagram is like, it's Brandon J. Duncan. Um, and then my website is lifeisrare.com. Um, you can shoot me an email through the website or a message on social media. I love getting, connecting with people and um, especially people who have tried the product. Maybe we can do a, a discount code. Sure. Can we do that? Yeah, yeah let's do, we'll say, um, 
we'll just do like Alex 15. I don't think anyone has Alex 15 yet. Yeah. So we'll create that one right on. um, for anyone that's listening that wants to get a little gift on the website, um, lifeisrare.com. And then that's something you can obviously always share if you wanted to as awesome. well. Um, and yeah, thanks for the opportunity to jam and yeah. connect and share. So last thing I like to do, I'm working on my gratitude practice Beautiful. and my appreciation. So I just want to say that I appreciate you being on my podcast. Yeah, man. I appreciate you for your, I think the thing I appreciate you the most for is your courageousness and your honesty, that you show up and you do the work and you look in the face yeah, of yeah. things that you don't necessarily want to work at and from the dark place that you were and how your life has progressed. And it's just such a inspiring thing for me and I'm inspiring for everyone else just how far you've come because it shines this light. It's like this beam of sun coming down where it's like, okay, even though I'm in the dark right now, I can now, the path up is illuminated. So thanks for having I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I like that. And thank you for coming on. Yeah, definitely, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, Brandon is one of my favorite people on the planet, and I know that he has had an impact on my life already, just being getting to know him for a little while. I think that episode really, really helped to shine a light on how a lot of people can start to transform their own lives, even when things seem at their most bleak and most terrible. Uh, if you did enjoy the episode, please share it out with a friend. Um, if you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can find me at Alexander Diesel. And again, if you uh, if you really like these episodes, it really helps a lot if you drop a five-star rating on iTunes and if you leave a review on there. It really helps show support for the show and helps us keep cooking with some new, new cool episodes. So I hope you enjoyed this one. Um, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you soon.